Hello and welcome to another edition of Back of the Crid. Uh, there was no Formula One last week, weirdly. It feels odd to have had a weekend away from the sport. Um, but we are here to look for, ahead to Sochi for the Russian Grand Prix. Um, to cover last weekend, though, we did at least get some racing in the form of Le Mans. Um, I mean, admittedly, I haven't seen much <laughs> of Le Mans due to a busy weekend, but I know Chris watched most of it, so I, I guess Chris can give us a bit of a summary of what went down there. Anything of interest to look out for? Uh, yeah, who's who's that? Who's this Chris that you've not introduced? Oh, yeah, I've not really done the intro very well there, have I? <laughs> I got so sidetracked thinking about how I'm going to segue into Le Mans. I mean, the rest of it was great. The rest. So, yeah, that, that's Chris. He's, <laughs> he's, he's Chris. He, he hosts the podcast with me. Um, Stu's somewhere over there. Hi. Say hi Hello. Hello, um, it's I'm, me. And I'm Tom. So, yeah, that, that, that went well. <laughs> smooth as you like. So smooth. smooth. That's baby smooth. maybe the slickest intro we've ever had on this show. I mean, it was like a Fernando Alonso outlap, that wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was more like Alonso, Alonso coming in on free tires, on two, <laughs> oh, sorry, on, on one wheel. <laughs> Mate, I haven't got punches. to the outro yet. Look, wait till you get to the outro at the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, should we talk huh. Le Mans for a little bit? It was won for the third year in a row by the number eight Toyota. A third win for Bohemian Nakajima and the second win for Brendan Hartley, who's now won for two different manufacturers after he won for Porsche a few years ago. It was Easy quite nice, you know, Howie. Yeah, it was nice <laughs> to see Hartley on the winning team. Actually, um, in one of the post-race interviews, uh, he said something along the lines of, "Like this feels like home." This being the kind of WEC paddock. So, after, after what I think is fair to say, were a rough few years for him in um, F1. It was nice to nice to see him back where he belongs i think and looking happy yeah big time i mean there's never any doubt that he's a great driver he just f1 just didn't really work for him did it no nah, well i think probably the red bull family didn't really back him as well as they they might have and they they definitely didn't you know build him a car that he liked so he was only ever there know. to keep a seat warm wasn't he basically yeah exactly yeah he was a seat warmer um yeah toyota won it again didn't they so that's yeah. the, I mean, is, are we surprised at Toyota winning it again? Not really. I think the only surprise really was the was the other Toyota that was looking good for the win. Um, Mike Conway, Camus Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez. Um, they were leading from pole, but they had a turbo issue during the night, which lost them like half an hour. Um, and they only came home third in the end. But yeah, tur- turbos, man. Those turbos. As soon as you put a turbo on a car, cause all kinds of problem issues. waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, the lower categories were pretty good, though, from what I've I have seen. Were, were they not? Yeah, um, LMP2 and GT classes were were much closer. To be fair, yeah. Rebellion did give Toyota a, a not a race for the win necessarily, but they they kept Toyota on their toes. Um, Rebellion were looking good for a double podium, but they had some issues on their cars as well. But they did um, get won their cars home in second place. That was uh, Bruno Senna, Norman Nato, and Gustavo uh, Mendes. So not a Toyota one two, which is something at least I guess. Yeah, LMP1 I mean, it just shows you how. I mean, I don't know if you know this, guys, but I'm a huge fan of Toyota. I've been you may a huge have mentioned that yeah. for for many years. <laughs> um, it's it's just I said it last year. I'll say it. Well, last last time they raced at Le Mans, which wasn't a year ago, was it? It was closer to when yeah. Was it? it was more like eighteen months now. Yeah. Well, whenever it was, they were last there. I remember saying. You know, when when you're not 
really compete against anyone who's on the same level as you in terms of, you know, con- not really dealing with any other constructors in, in LMP1 category. Toyota are always going to win it unless, you know, yeah. unless the reliability gets them. I mean, it's, it is an achievement still to win it because obviously it's very difficult to build a car that will last that long. It is. Because um, it's a 24-hour sprint race. There's no denying that. But I'd, I'd, it just makes me so sad that, you know, Porsche and Audi are, are no longer part of that sport and not sort of giving us a real race. Because I think if, if those two are still in it, it'd be so much more exciting. It's such a shame. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, this is this is the last Le Mans with the LMP1 class. And it has, like, in the time that class has been what it is, it's kind of in both extremes, hasn't it? Like, it's sort of mm. gone out with a whimper these last couple of years. But at its peak in the sort of early 2010s, when you had Toyota, Porsche, Audi, and very briefly Nissan, all like pushing yeah. each other all the way. There was just some incredible racing back then. Yeah. Like at the time, that was probably some of the best racing going on in the world. And for it to have gone from there to the point he sees now where it's kind of just petering out, it's, it's a sad yeah. way to see it go. Um, I think foregone conclusions, maybe not the right word for it, but at the start of that 24 hours, you are basically... <laughs> Trying to work out which Toyota's going to last mm. the distance, aren't you? Yeah, realistically, yeah. it's not much. Toyota. It's not will Toyota win it. It's will the Toyotas get to the end? Yeah, and if they do, they will definitely win it. But will they get to yeah. the end is the question. And these days, you know, they've got enough experience now that yes, they probably will get to end, and they don't have to push the cars as hard because they're not trying to beat Audi or Porsche. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that was a thing, wasn't it? In like sixteen, seventeen, they were very close to winning and. Last DNF'd lap, wasn't both, it? Both, didn't they? Last um, lap, yeah. And then since since then, when they've when it's really just been them, they've not really had to push the cars anywhere near as hard. I don't think. And like mm. you say, it's just led to them being more likely to get them home, and yeah, they don't have to push too hard to be ahead. I mean, it's it's WEC's Mercedes scenario, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah I think much, the, I yeah. think the difference the difference is that at least Formula One's still got. Other manufacturers. Um, well, it, it's train... the equivalent. It's the equivalent of if if Formula One and F two ran on the same track at the same mm. time, and yeah. only Mercedes were the only F one team, and all the other teams were F two mm. teams. That's basically yeah. the equivalent, I'd say. Yeah. Maybe I'm being harsh there, but kind of. I mean, it was only I mean, a five car LMP one field, and it's... one of those five dropped out really early on. So. Yeah, and like it, it's like having a. I don't know, like a Williams and McLaren to compete with a Mercedes, isn't it? It's like having factory. Uh, it's like having independent or customer teams. Yeah, yeah. competing against a Mercedes. Like, and then I'll left the analogy after that. Then okay, so yeah. so I'll meet you halfway. Then we'll say <laughs> Mercedes. Mercedes field two cars. McLaren field two cars. Williams field two cars, and then everyone else is an F two team. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it, isn't basically. It? Yeah, and, so, it. and some F3 cars in there for the mix as well, just to split up the classes. You know what would be interesting is if they did a race <laughs> with, you know, what I'm going to say, don't you? With a multi-class yeah. race in the in the Formula One tiers, so an F1 and F2 and F3 cars, because the speed I mean, differential between, I mean, the speed differential is very very high. <laughs> Between the F1s and the F3s, it's ridiculously high difference. Then again, between LMP1 and GT, it's also yeah, it's true. I mean, you've essentially different. got a, a prototype 
spec car against a, a GT car. That a lot of those kinds of car, you know, the Aston Martins. There was a time where you could go out and buy an Aston Martin GT car yeah. and race mm. it on the road if you or drive it on the road if you wanted to. So. Yeah, it's it's like putting an aerial atom against a Formula One car. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess we just have to hope at this point that the new hypercar class next year does what it's supposed to do and makes it yeah. more attractive. I mean, Peugeot yeah. have already been teasing their car, which is entering in 2022. Yeah, um, Toyota did a demo run of, because the hypercars have to be based on a real world road car. So uh, Toyota did a demo run of their, what's it called? The GR Supersport road car that their new yeah. WEC car is going to be based on, which is an awesome yeah. looking car. Um, does, yeah. It looks rad. It does look, it look I, very you, cool. Uh, as I've mentioned, I'm a lifelong <laughs> Toyota fan. And yes, every, every, every supercar that Toyota have ever made looks excellent. Do you so. not think that that... Um... Uh, super sport thing looks a little bit like um, a Pagani Zonda type car. It's not I'd, far off, is it? I I don't know if it's because it's got those like current prototype sort of uh, you know wheel arches and so because it, it, it's very it's got very much a current WEC LMP sort of look to it, hasn't it? But it, in terms of when you then convert it to a road car, it, it kind of starts to look a little bit Pagani-ish. Yeah, know. it kind of it, Well, it, it kind of looks like an LMP1 car shrunk down to be road legal, which is basically <laughs> yeah. what it is, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah totally. It looks rad. It looks. It mm. does look sick. It looks. It does look like an LMP1 car, that's for sure. It is a, yeah. it's a proper hypercar. I mean, I if you were driving yeah. that in the street, then you'd be probably quite scared. You, you couldn't take it down to the shops, could you? That's for sure. <laughs> no. It's kind of like, it's that like Aston Martin Valkyrie level of design, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame we're not going to see the Aston Martin Valkyrie in uh, WEC, which is what it was originally designed for. But um, yeah, What's going on with that project? That basically, I think they got to a point where Red Bull and Aston Martin weren't be working together anymore. So they just kind of said, all right, we'll finish it will build 10 or 15 of them to sell and kind of draw a line under it, which is sort of where it is, I think. Yeah. They do exist and they are going to sell a few, but yeah, it's not going to go any further, unfortunately. So yeah. do we know what other manufacturers are entering the WVC um, hypercar rules next year? See, obviously Toyota we know about. Uh, Peugeot is going to be in 2022. There's a boutique car maker called Scuderia Cameron... Gilken House, who apparently are planning to enter. Um, oh, the Gilken House. Yeah, I know that. I yeah, know Gilken House. Bicoles are <laughs> going to be entering one. Um, Is this still a Rebellion? No, Rebellion are ending their racing operations at the end of this season, apparently. Um, oh. I think they're kind of working with Peugeot, though. I think kind of their Le Mans team is going to kind of be absorbed into Peugeot for their new Ooh. entry. Alpine, they're, they're yes, Alpine, of course, right yeah, definitely, um, yeah, because they had a was it an LMP two they were running this year? It was, yeah. So, because that I, I was looking at that thinking, I wonder if this is a, a tiny little insight into where they'll go with the um, F one livery next year. Yeah, I thought that mm. same with Aston Martin actually. Like a lot of people are talking about British racing green for Aston Martin, but mm. I think the current uh, GTs in WEC is probably a closer look at what next year's F one car is going to look like. But that's by the by. 
who who would you like to see in uh, in the hypercar rules? Who would be your go to hypercar? Honestly, I, I I mean I kind of love to have the likes of Porsche and Audi back just to bring that whole yeah, fight back. Yeah, but it would also be sick. nice to if they enticed in people like Pagani who already make hypercars. Um, yeah, McLaren. Yeah, McLaren would be a great would be a good addition. One. Ferrari, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I would. I, I I was quite happy about the Valkyrie project until they postponed it or canned it, whichever it is that they've officially done now. It um, seems like they've that, got that car was insane. It seems like they've got a lot of people entering, but not necessarily anyone who's actually known for making a hypercar. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because it seemed like the rules originally were kind of to try and entice people who already made hypercars. Like, yeah. you've already got the basis for it, build a racing version of that and come race. And that doesn't seem to be happening currently. Like, yeah. so far, we seem to have the likes of Peugeot and Toyota building a new road car as a basis to then build a racing car on or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, time who, will tell, who would be yours, Chris? Who would be, who do you want to see in there? Who, who of, of the manufacturers at the moment? What would be your dream hypercar team for World Endurance Championship? I'd McLaren is a is a good shout. Lamborghini, I think, would be a really cool one to have in there. Yeah, because again, they're they're already making hypercars. Let's make a ridiculous racing version. I mean, yeah. Radical makes something. I know that there's a bit of a niche, a niche thing yeah I'm sure radical makes something that's very similar to a an lmp car but is actually considered a road legal hypercar mm. bugatti bugatti yeah. would be a really interesting one that's audi group again isn't it so that, yeah. yeah they've probably got a lot of expertise that they could throw at that and and make a really good machine out of it um I'm trying to think of mine. I mean, it's a shame the Aston Martin Valkyrie is not going to use Aston Martin's yeah. name you associate with with World Endurance Racing, I think, or at least GT Racing. And, yeah. you know, supercars, maybe not hypercars, but supercars, definitely. So it's a shame they're not going to be around for that. Mm. Um, Mercedes would be interesting. You know, the, the AMG one, like, that's, again, it's a yeah, Formula a 1 car point. in the shape of a yeah road car. So... It's a shame they're not; they've not sort of picked it up either. The, the organisers must be really disappointed that like some of these <laughs> awesome manufacturers have made cars that are like perfectly suited for it, and they've just not bitten. I wonder if a few were maybe just feeling it out to see yeah. how it goes in the first year, and then yeah, once maybe. they've got an idea for it, sort of 2022, 2023 onwards, we'll kind of see see some of them maybe coming to the front of it and and sort of mm. dropping these hypercars the other thing in, is, into like, the mix. I guess we live in a time where like if you're if you run Mercedes and you're really successful in Formula One, what need do you have to go to any other motorsport yeah. other than Formula E, which is probably gonna take over the world in the next ten years anyway, but that's that's a different episode of a podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, like I mean if if you're doing McLaren, you know, if you're already in Formula One, if you're a McLaren Ferrari, um Williams, not that they make any hypercars, but if you you know, whoever you are then you get enough exposure for your brand to not really need to bother going to any other racing series, I guess, aren't you? Yeah. I'd love Williams to make a road car. Imagine like a really, really bespoke, low run Williams road car with like mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of wood paneling inside and it, I mean, it all it's... smell of leather and mahogany. <laughs> Rich it, mahogany. It's... This is Ron Burgundy's <laughs> car. It, um... <laughs> it is far more like accessible though to get into 
WEC than it is F1. Well, it will be with the new rules. Yeah, if you're not already in F1, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Maybe Lada need to, or, or Volvo, maybe Volvo could be a hypercar. And... <laughs> They'd still be really boxy. <laughs> I mean, they made some incredible touring cars over the years at Volvo. They do, they made some sick you gotta, ones. You've got to give them that. And the truck, have you seen the Volvo Knight? The truck? Yeah. That, that thing is insane. <laughs> mm. Terrifying. Um, Tesla, we've not mentioned Tesla. Tesla would be an interesting because the the uh, again it's all electric and the regulations probably don't allow for it, but it'd be awesome to see a Tesla sort of mixing it with in endurance racing especially it'd sort of dispel all those myths about um, range anxiety and stuff like that, wouldn't it? If you can get mm. your electric race car to compete with the um, with the petrol powered mm. in a, in an endurance race, then you know you'd be be proving everyone I mean, wrong I'd, about. I'd be very interested to know what I'd need to go in to get something like a, a Tesla hypercar to achieve the lap times that the front runners achieve and obviously finish the full 24 hours. I'd like to mm. see Tesla take the um, the Garage 56 entry, they call it. That, that hasn't been used for a few years, but there's always a spot on the Le Mans yeah. grid for like an experimental car. I'd love mm. to see Tesla come and like properly do a full electric go at it. Yeah. It would be cool. Yeah, they've actually Tesla have actually said that they're not that interested in doing motor racing because it no, sort, sort of clashes all. clashes with their image of of being super yeah. super green and not sort of polluting the world yeah. and being wasteful. And yeah, you know, <laughs> like motor racing is all of those things, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Really? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit of a folly. It's not really something that you do to be conscious of the environment or anything like that. Yeah. Although you would obviously, if you do go about it, you you do it, but do it as consciously as you can. But yeah, the two don't exactly go hand in hand, do they? Yeah. There is a Tesla racing series out there, but I think it's basically a company that buys up a bunch of them and then strips them out puts roll cages in and kind of runs them as a third party tesla just yeah. sell the units to them basically yeah but anyway anyway wildly off talk now um yeah that's all right old path then it's all good i mean it's not like the russian grand prix is going to give us a ton to talk about so <laughs> until tomorrow probably yeah yeah probably not uh just to wrap up the mon stuff um lmp2 was a much closer race it was won by uh, Phil Hansen, Philippe Albuquerque and Paul DeResta for Zach Brown's United Autosports team. They had a super close fight with Anthony Davidson, Antonio Felix Costa and Roberto Gonzalez for pretty much the entire race. Um, it looked like it was going to be a proper last few laps dash for the two of them, but uh, Davidson had to make a last pit stop, uh, which gave the win to DeResta and co, which was good to see. Um, and then in GT, Aston Martin basically dominated both uh, GT classes. Um, Maxime Martin, Alex Lynn and Harry Tinknell won the GT Pro. And uh, Sally Yolok, Charlie Eastwood and Johnny Adam won GT Am. Yeah, they, they'd never really looked super pushed for the win. Ferrari were there for a little while, but Dastons were kind of untouchable. And the Porsches were absolutely nowhere because they had a, a balance of power change recently, I think, that um, ruined their chances, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Special mention as well to there were two all female teams uh, that entered this year. The in LMP two uh, Tatiana Calderon, who you probably know from F two last year, and I think she's still Aston uh, Alfa Romeo test driver. Bites Kavissa, who was runner up in W series last year, and Sophia Flush, who is 
best known for flying through the air at Macau and crashing into <laughs> a uh, camera pylon Ooh, thing. Absolutely yeah. savage, Chris. Goodness I mean, gracious. It's true. That's how everyone's going to know her. She's also yeah. known as a Formula 3 driver. But... Yes, she's in, a, she's in a ropey F3 car as well this season. Yeah. She, did, missed, she did hit um, headlines for that crash. You missed out the word backwards in that flying through the air sentence. Mm. Yes, of course it was. God, that was a terrifying oh, crash, wasn't it? It was really scary. That's probably the most harrowing motor racing accident I've ever seen. Yeah. But yeah, all three of them, all Le Mans rookies, uh, bought their car home in ninth place in class and 13th overall, which was a hell of an achievement for them. And then there was also in GTM, uh, Manuela Gosner, Rachel Frey and Michelle Gatting, they bought their Ferrari home also ninth in their class. So good on both of them. Ooh, Very good to nice. see. Yeah, I think that'll do Le Mans for now. Uh, there's one race left yeah. in WEC. I think... I think all but the GT Championship are still open for the last race, which is in Bahrain, but not until November for some reason. They have such massive gaps in the uh, WEC schedule. So, nice few months off for that last. <laughs> yeah. Back to F1. F1 like to do fan surveys these days. The latest fan <laughs> surveys asking about uh, qualifying sprint races, which we've talked about a lot. Oh, for God's sake. Specifically, <laughs> this is... Uh, potentially at a maximum of four events next season, um, basically having a reverse championship sprint race on a Saturday to decide the grid for Sunday. I know we've been over our preferred version of the weekend many yeah. times, so probably not worth us repeating that again. That again. <laughs> <laughs> won't be on the time there. Okay, I won't. Yeah, that's, that's a... that's all that was I don't know what do we think like we obviously all love qualifying and don't think qualifying should be touched it's the best format qualifying's ever been I think but what do we think about replacing it just for four events throughout the season no I'm against Mm, yeah qualifying is qualifying like leave it alone (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty conclusive i don't know i i find it a little more palatable if it's just it's only four races you know drop them at tracks where you tend to get good racing anyway it's reverse championship grid did you yes say? it is yeah i mean that i'm on board with okay at least they're getting that bit yeah. right they're getting it half right so yeah i can live with it but i'd rather they just got rid of Saturday morning practice and did qualifying. That's there. ultimately, isn't it? And it's, then ran an afternoon yeah. sprint race. That's literally all. It's such an easy replace. Solution. I don't know what the replace the is. part no one cares about rather than the part that yeah. lots of people care about. Exactly. It's, it's just yep. a no brainer. I just don't know why this agenda is still sort of get, you know, let's, let's mess with qualifying. Let's mess with qualifying. Let's mess. It's the one part that isn't broken mm. and they just want to mess with it all the time. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> Maybe they don't think people will like get up early in the morning to watch qualifying. But then again, we'll put it on I a mean, bit later. Then I, I mean, we used they to can decide when we, they put it before, on. Like, I mean, yeah. Them. I mean, I mean, before Formula One dictated that the races would be at, I'm, I'm, and I'm gonna like use air quotes here, suitable <laughs> viewing times. Because I apologise to anyone in places like Australia where it's not a suitable viewing time. Yeah, yeah. But like they, they try to generalise the viewing time to be suitable for sort of the main the main European audiences, and it's kind of on in the afternoon for most of Europe, and then sort of 
I guess, late morning for the Americas. So, like, they like basically, if you look at the schedule now, pretty much every single quality session and race starts at roughly the yeah, same time every single season. Sunday. I, I can remember where it not used to be Russia, like a local not for time. Russia, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, it's slightly Russia. earlier for Russia. Yeah. It's slightly earlier for Russia. But I can remember, like, as a kid, intentionally, like, getting up ridiculously early to watch stuff in Japan or, like, China, or in yeah. Australia. And me, me and my dad had, like, either, like, <laughs> stay up ridiculous. It was the one time as a kid I was allowed to stay up stupidly late. And it was so I could watch, like, the Formula One. And I remember the the sort of the excitement that that had, but that was just for me as a kid. But, like, they can do it whenever they want. They've already exactly, dictated yeah. that the schedule's going to run when it is. Yeah, I mean, they've already so... changed it, so it's that's at 10 past the hour every exactly, race, yeah. just so they can yeah. get adverts in everywhere. So it... it just shows you how much, you know, they can manipulate the clock to, to, to their whim. So... Yeah. yeah, like I don't think that argument holds up. Like I think if if they're worried about what time these things are going to start, yeah. then just change the plus, time to a more suitable time. Plus, even if they did put qualifying on at like six a.m., I bet the total number of views for qualifying in a sprint race would still be a lot higher than it is currently for qualifying in FP3. Yeah, nobody watches it. If you yeah, if you exactly. go on Formula One's YouTube page and you look at the numbers of people who are watching. Um, FP3 highlights, even never mind actual mm. FP3. Like, yeah, the, those numbers compared to the other sessions are substantially lower on the Formula One YouTube page. That's that's information anyone can see just by going on, you know, F1's exactly, YouTube yeah. channel. Just go go away and look at that if you're in any doubt as to how how unpopular or how unimportant I mean, really FP3 is to the audience, and it'll tell you everything you need to know. The only reason it gets a, a view from me on a Saturday morning generally is because I'm watching the support series as either. Yeah, time. pretty much. And I I'm mean, kind of I'm, I'm kind of more interested in the other stuff that's going on around it, and it, it just gets left on, and I yeah. kind of just watch it. Well, it's, 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 it's like, like cricket, isn't it? FP3. It's just you have it on in the yeah. background. You, it's not something you sit and fully engage with for the entire session. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like a, a, a race on a Saturday. It would give me. This is not necessarily a niche thing, but like watching British touring cars here in the UK. If you put the channel on, you can basically sit from like I think oh. it's about nine AM through to like four PM, and it's just like constant race after action. race after yeah. race and constant action. So you've got like the touring cars, you've got like the Clio Cup, you've got like Ginettas, you've got the the pretty young kids in the Formula Fords that are like. It like this. This is where like I know people like Lando mm. Norris and stuff from. Like I remember watching them there, yeah. and you get like a full day of all this. And with Formula One, you unless you're at the circuit, you don't really get that. And I'm, I'll admit that being at a circuit, sometimes you're in F3. I'll be like, right, I'm gonna go and find something to eat. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> I'd rather mm. watch the races around F3 than watch F3, FP3 even. Sorry. Yeah. Do you know what I think the bigger thing putting them off that is though? If you don't, if your sprint race is not for grid order, it means you have to give out points for it, and that means there's yeah. potential for championships to be sided on a Saturday. And it's exactly the same reason why they've always resisted giving out points for qualifying. They want to know mm. the exact point a champion is crowned for all of the various marketing and advertising or whatever reasons around that. And I, I just can't see a situation where points are given out on a day other than Sunday for that reason alone. But, but- but well, maybe I mean, maybe your points only count. I mean, the solution to that straight away off the top of my head is 
your points are only awarded if you finish the race on the Sunday, if you finish the Grand Prix. That would be the solution to that. That would be interesting. Yeah, almost like an <laughs> aggregate. Yeah, so if you win, if you're in the reverse, if you're in the reverse yeah. sprint, you've then got to finish the race on Sunday to get those points. Yeah, like you, you're sort mm, of combining the two. That then you're combining the two races into one, and you're getting the net result of the the, the championship is crowned. Yeah, and it also gives you extra. It could give you an extra dimension going into the race on a Sunday because you could have this aggregate points that. You know, you could then tally up if this person finishes the race, then they will win the championship today. If they don't finish the race, or if this person finishes in this position, they'll get more points ahead of me. It could really spy, actually spice up the racing, that aggregate idea. Um, yeah. Uh, I, you know, the, you know what's going to happen though. Someone's going to get taken out into turn one, and it's going to like it's going to wipe out a win. Yeah. And. But then, gonna, you know, how is that any different from the golden age of Senna and Prost, though? You know, everyone looks back on that with such mm. such rose-tinted spectacles, and I'm sure at the time people were outraged by it, but now we're like, oh, this crazy thing happened, it was amazing, what a story kind of thing. It sounds suspiciously close to the aggregate qualifying they did for a while, which they abandoned because it was just way too complicated. And I think if you start introducing I'd, points I'd, I'd, I'd... into that as well, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, don't, I think if you if you it's it's not that complicated. If you don't if you don't finish the race on Sunday, you don't get your weekend's total of points. So you're not changing the point system in that regard. But if you do finish the race, you get your points that you earned yesterday, and you get whatever position you you earned today. Even if you finish outside the points, you get yesterday's points. So I mean, I don't I don't see the problem with getting points on a Saturday no, personally because well, it's, it's only it's only the same as when Lewis wins the title in. Texas every year. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's that. that, and, that and yeah, like, we've still got we've still got tons of races left. Argument, actually, yeah. So like that's like, the other thing is like, why does it matter if it's a Saturday or a Sunday when we because we 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 crown him a champion for the last three years by Texas and then the rest yeah. of the season's redundant anyway. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I it doesn't. What, what what does it matter whether that's a Saturday or a Sunday at the end of the day? It's going to be before the. It'll get crowned. It's, it's never going to be on the final race <laughs> anyway. The way things are at the moment, no. so. You know, again, it's it's another yeah. sort of point against that that kind of that that worry that they might have. I think you're right, Chris. Though I think they probably do have that concern. That's in the head, definitely. Yeah, but I, I just think it's a null and void concern. It's overthought again. That they're, they're overthinking it. I think just just yeah. give us more action. Like Friday practice, no one. You know, we sit there watching it and literally there's massive chunks of it 20 minutes they're out for an hour they get an hour on friday practice and literally a good at least 20 minutes of it there's nothing happening on track i think imola it's a nightmare to make highlights for. <laughs> imola this season is going to help a lot with proving that i think because they're only having two practice sessions at imola aren't they um yeah because it's gonna be a two-day event and yeah it, i think that that alone is going to prove that what the team's been saying all this time about oh we need our practice time is absolute nonsense yeah, I mean, if they needed rubbish. it, they'd be using the full what's exactly. available to them for three and a half exactly. hours. So now an hour and thirty yeah. for FP one, and then a, an hour on the other it's two. Four hours. Or it's four hours, isn't it? Oh yeah, because it's two. It's two ninety-minute sessions, isn't it? And then the Friday yeah. one's an hour. So yeah. yeah, you're looking at four hours total, and I would say on average, each car's on the uh, on the track for like two hours of probably that, yeah. four hours on average. 
Yeah, so, no need. They just they, they just don't want to work as hard. <laughs> it would make their lives more mm. difficult because they won't be able to space out their program quite as they'd have to be yeah. more on it, and they'd have less time to sort of make changes to the car and stuff like that. But literally by Friday, if you're not dialed in by Friday and you're still tuning your setup, re- you know, really changing big bits of your car by then to the point where you've got to be off track for twenty minutes while you change components, then something's going, you know. You've got bigger issues. Small practice is not going to help you. Yeah, yeah. yeah You've you got much bigger issues at that point. Well, so to, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, most of the reaction I've seen online to this has been pretty negative. I think the general feeling from fans seems to be we like qualifying, leave it alone. So maybe they'll listen Good. to the fans on this. Maybe they won't. We'll see. <laughs> um, a couple of mm. other bits. Uh, Racing Point have made... Uh, not as, as big a name signing, but arguably as a, a significant a signing this week. They have a new commercial managing director in the spectacularly named Jefferson Slack. I love him. Already. Yeah. Wow, that is a cool name. Jefferson Slack uh, previously served as the chief of Michael Jordan's marketing activities in the 90s, which is a hell of a thing to have on your CV. Wow. He was also the CEO of Inter Milan for four years, and recently he's been an advisor to the uh, commercial rights holder for MotoGP. So he knows his stuff, he knows his sport. But I think think it's just another thing that proves what we've said a lot, which is that that team is very much there to sell Aston Martins ultimately, isn't it? It's there to turn themselves into a massive brand. And yeah, he's just further proof of that, I think. Yep. Yeah. Good. It's good. Good. good it sounds like a good hire. Sounds like he will hopefully help them with their uh, help them along with their upward projection. Yeah. So, and I, I doubt yeah. Jefferson Slack uh, comes cheaply. So, it further proves yeah. that the people in charge there are putting their money where their mouth is. So, it's good to see. Yeah. Does he own the uh, popular work messaging system Slack? <laughs> if, if he does, I've got some <laughs> some things to say to him because. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ditto on that one. <laughs> yeah, they did update Slack recently. I made it a bit crapper. Oh, that's they? their, their favourite thing to do. Thing. <laughs> um, We've got this great <laughs> thing. Let's make it Let's work. Let's make it rubbish. Uh, and then a last thing. We're only really covering this because it's in the news a lot. I don't think there's really much super substantial to it, but there are yet more rumours of Mercedes being sold, knocking around. It used to be Lawrence Stroll, but obviously that didn't happen. The latest rumor now involves Ineos, who are uh, one of Mercedes' biggest sponsors now. They're the red bits on the car. Um, They're a chemicals Mm -hmm. company owned by British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe. He does have previous in coming into sports teams and sort of going from a sponsor to buying them out. Um, Most famously, the Team Sky cycling team, which he sort of came in at their most successful point and bought them and rebranded them to an Ineos team. Him and Mercedes have denied there's anything to this, and Mercedes don't have any plans to go anywhere. It also kind of comes at a time when Toto Wolff's future is a bit unclear. He's kind of dropped some hints that he's maybe going to step away from the team principal role next year and take a kind of more hands-off team, but still within the company. Um, I think ultimately all these rumours seem to come from the idea that Mercedes have kind of got nothing left to prove at this point like they've they've come in to f1 they've been unbeaten for years they've broken most of the records going you know at that point why do you keep pumping money into a sport where you know 
the, the whole win on Sunday, sell on Monday thing still rings true, but uh, how many more trophies can you put a sticker of in your dealership window before it becomes diminishing returns, I guess? Mm. But then... Until you, until you get to the point where you can't see the cars anymore. <laughs> if people are seeing Mercedes going around racetracks every weekend winning races, exactly, yeah. you know, that that's... That's your thirty million well spent straight away. Yeah, then. and that, that's the thing, isn't it? Like we we mentioned this a week or two ago that last season only cost Mercedes thirty million once you factor in sort of prize money and sponsorship money. And I saw as well they mm. calculated that in terms of the TV time they get from being the team that's winning most of the time, they reckon that equated to them and all their sponsors to so something like the equivalent of five billion in advertising costs just from the amount wow. of screen time they get. Um, that's insane and, and that's yeah. a bad it's mad isn't it and Toto Wolf's mentioned in the past kind of a, an ambition to build a team to a point where they're cost neutral and given that the cost caps are coming in that's entirely realistic that that is, team could is, just yeah. pay for itself which is an insane thing to think about really that's well that's the that's the golden dream isn't it that that's the, it's yeah. the golden dream that's where that just kind of <laughs> um it is it, it is what you what this sport has kind of aimed for for many years is to have teams that run at a profit and not at a loss yeah yeah you know since liberty came in especially there's, there's been a really big aim on making the sport much more sustainable and what could be more sustainable than a set of 10 teams that can all afford to be there and are all making money from being in formula one you know that that surely yeah. that should be the case. Yeah, totally. It's I mean it, it's a business at the end of the day. So yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. there's not another business in the world that loses money <laughs> like Formula One does, and yet still somehow hangs around. <laughs> it's strange. <laughs> yeah, but Formula One teams, yeah. I should say, Formula One itself makes a ton of yeah. money, but Formula One teams tend to operate at a huge loss. And you know, this new Concord Agreement should address some of that. And I guess you could argue that's kind of you're going to get to a point where, yes, Mercedes are essentially running at a sort of net zero, but they also should be getting pushed a lot harder than they have been in recent years because the cost cap is designed to bring the teams close together. So, Mm. I think like this is the reason why I think Ferrari, whenever Ferrari say, oh, we're leaving, it's just nonsense. Because when when you factor that in, when you consider that, just, I mean, just by being Ferrari, they're just going to get loads and loads of screen time anyway in Formula yeah, One. Yeah. They're like the, the, they're the, they are the Formula One team, really, that people think of. So if you, you know, if you don't know Formula One, you think if someone mentions Formula One, you think Ferrari, don't mm. you? Yeah, it's true. So yeah. just by being associated like that with the with the Formula One brand. If Ferrari suddenly dropped all of that and decided, no, we're not going to be a Formula One team anymore, then they're effectively what? What did what figure was it you just gave? Two billion in advertising. Uh, no, it was five billion. Five, they reckoned. Five billion. So that so for so F one a are getting paid sixty million just to be there <laughs> by F one, and they're getting five billions worth, probably roughly in the region, probably not much less than five billions worth of advertising costs covered by being in Formula One as well. So if, if ever was a team profiting, it must, surely it should be Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that five billion was kind of combined with Mercedes and all of the brands associated and, you know, the sponsor on the car and stuff. But even so, it's like, I mean, look at last weekend. And okay, yes, her team gains their thousandth race doesn't come along every day 
But even so, like up until the point the race started, the whole weekend of broadcasts was basically one big Ferrari advert, wasn't it? Like, yeah, well, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's it? and that's yeah. why they're there. So it's just the same thing over and over again, really. It really it? was, yeah. Weekend, but hey ho, Mercedes obviously aren't going to stick around forever, but you know, manufacturing F one does, but you, you just can't see them leaving anytime Unless soon. Unless you're Ferrari, um. Yeah. I guess the only question really now is would Toto stepping down turn into a downturn in form and will the point where Lewis eventually retires turn into a downturn in form? I mean, it'd be very interesting to see how critical Toto has been within that team. If he's suddenly not at Mm. the helm, like running things, it would be very interesting to see where that goes and see Mm. how much of um, sort of the winning driving force comes from him. Yeah, I think, it, I think it'd take time. I, I think if it yeah, did it's... happen, it'd, you know, these things don't happen overnight. They're not just going to suddenly get up the next day with Toto <laughs> Wolf being gone and be a be where we are. Just start losing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it takes. We suddenly lost six tenths a lap. Yeah, Where's Toto it'd be, gone? <laughs> it'd be a slow decline. A bit kind of like what McLaren did, I guess. Yeah. If, if Hamilton and Toto did leave. But then what's to say, you know, I mean, they might just be able to replace him with someone even better and become even more dominant. Exactly. You don't That's know. Really. It can go the other way. There's just yeah. no. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. Who would replace Toto Wolf, do you think? Can you think of anyone? It's. A, I don't think I can. I mean. <laughs> I'm sure they have candidates within the team. You know, they're not just going to be like, oh, Toto's gone. Oh, no, yeah. we'd better find a replacement. Like, they all have a line of succession yeah. sorted out. Yeah. I mean, and Toto recently said in his current role, he basically runs the race team and the factory. And, you know, he's technically in charge of, like, two or 3,000 people. And he actually doesn't believe anymore that that's the best way of doing things and that when he steps down, it probably makes sense to split that job into two different ones. Kind of like um, McLaren did recently, actually. McLaren in their yeah. kind of rebuilding yeah. of... Williams split, as well. Yeah, as well, split up into more specialised roles. So, I mean, he doesn't solely manage everything anyway, does he? Because there's, there's James Allison and there's... Is it Andy, Andy Cowell, the other one? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, it's not necessarily a three-way split, obviously, but they take a huge proportion of what other team principals would normally take under their wing exactly, away yeah. from Toto, don't they? So it, it's more of a a general team principal role, I guess, and like someone like Andy Cowell and James Allison might step up to that and you'd replace them at a, a slightly different level, like move James Allison up and bring somebody else in from a tech point yeah. of view or, or something like that. So there's, mm. there's plenty of options for them yeah, if, he, if he did decided had enough yeah i think i think overall though mercedes just aren't going to go anywhere anytime soon are they no yeah. definitely not why would you you'd be crazy yeah. to and just suddenly shack it in and to be fair most of these rumors seem to come from eddie jordan anyway and yeah <laughs> i feel Everyone's like most reliable source of information i eddie feel jordan. like eddie jordan was <laughs> he was the only person that was right about hamilton going to mercedes and everyone was like <laughs> Wow, where did he, how did he know that? That's amazing. And then ever <laughs> yeah. since then, he's just been kind of riding on the coattails of that one thing he's, he got right, yeah. and he keeps just, throwing all these predictions out yeah. there. And occasionally nah, they'll come true. There was a time. There was a time when Eddie Jordan was quite a sort of reliable source of information. I think. Yeah, he was well connected like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, I think um, probably while he was on the grid. <laughs> yeah, I think you were. Yeah, but I think th- this 
this little uh, this one's a bit pie in the sky for me. I don't think it's. Yeah, it feels a little bit. Yeah. Hey, yeah. gentlemen, guess what? 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 We filled this quota of talk that's non-race specific. <laughs> Yay! We have a championship. We have a championship. Yeah. We've 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 officially made a podcast worth of content that we can move on to talk about the next race. And we haven't actually talked us. about that race once. Yeah, exactly. No, so now yeah. we can do that too. Let's do it. Okay. So let's do, some, go do some storylines. Story do you want to yeah, do storylines too? Sorry, I'm just treading all over your hosting there, Tom. Aren't I? It's all right. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, let's do some storylines. So storyline number one this week is will Bottas shine at his favourite track? He's been very successful there in previous races. He always seems to have a bit of an uptick of form. He just he just likes that place. So what do you guys think? Do you reckon he'll uh, be able to turn it on this weekend? I think so. I mean, mm. as much as his results haven't been great, like if you look at qualifying, especially this season, he's always been not Close. much more than a few tenths either side of Hamilton's time. So mm, yeah. drop that to track that he like obviously has an affinity for. Um and, and a, a track bit of luck, that, maybe. Bit of luck, a circuit that doesn't really lend itself to overtaking. I think he bodes well yeah, for yeah. him. Yeah. Also yeah, I, I, he, I mean he had a good racer in uh, Miguelo, really, other than his awful luck, didn't he? Pretty much, yeah. Should have won it. Yeah, I was say it wasn't it wasn't really a bad race per se, was it? It was the, the multiple restarts probably didn't help his yeah, cause. Yeah, just circumstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah big time. Yeah, I, I think he'll have a decent weekend. And I mean, part of me can't look past Lewis for certain certain things, but I think it's as good a weekend as any for Valtteri to to really push him and and try and outdo him. Um, the next one is uh, where will the midfield battle go next? Um, hopefully, not into the wall down the pit straight. <laughs> um, in the last race, but, um, yeah, I don't know what what where what are we where are we going with this one. Do we think um, McLaren can sort of find some pace again, get themselves back up to where they were a few races ago? Yeah, because they struggled with the last race, didn't they? I mean, yeah, didn't Norris... they had a car out? But... Yeah, even think, so, I the Renault was faster, right wasn't here. it? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think this will probably lean more towards. McLaren than Renault, though, if I'm honest. I think. Mm, yes. There's a couple it's, of... not, it's not like out and out straight line speed, is it? Like, for example, Monza. No. It's like, it's a, it's a speed kind of thing. Like, it's a lot of flat out, a lot of high speed corners. But. It's a like, bit like Silverstone, Mon- I think. This, this yeah, it's, like, it's, it's some high speed corners. Mm. You, you need a lot. You need you need good efficient downforce on this track. Yeah. It's not straight up downforce. It's not. It's no Monaco where you need all the downforce you can throw on it. So there's a balance, but there's definitely, you know, it is a fast. There are very fast sections of this track, and there's there's a mix. There's a good yeah. mix of actually really fast and really really yeah. complex slow speed comms. It's not my favorite track to race on on the game. I have to admit, like it's. I don't think it's huge. anyone's favorite track to race on. No, and weirdly, I've probably done more laps on this track on the game than most other tracks as well. Oddly, I don't know how that's happened. <laughs> Something's gone horribly wrong there. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Maybe like... that's why I don't play it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's it kind of. Reminds me of the old Valencia Street circuit in a way, which was always mm. pretty naff for racing, but it was actually quite a fun circuit to drive. Whereas Sochi doesn't really tick either of those boxes, I don't think, does it? No, I mean, the first yeah. sector's good, and that big sweeping left hander where they can sort of get alongside each other as a few different yeah. lines through and get overtaking moves through, done through there. 
you know, there's parts of this track that I think are really interesting and really, 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 really good fun to drive. And it's just that second half of the circuit, super squared off. It's those squared off Singapore style corners. It's all very start yeah. stop, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Bit of a lap killer towards the end of the lap. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And your tyres are screaming as well by then after all the high speed stuff. So it can't be, yeah, I mean, it mustn't be that pleasant to drive for the guys during qualifying, but especially coming from Miguelo where it's literally just front of the floor. Exactly, yeah. Every corner just about. Um, Yeah, so where will the midfield battle go next then? Uh, I mean, if we're saying it's characteristically a bit Silverstone, Renault went well there and Renault have seemed to be on the upturn in recent races anyway so if anything I'd maybe say look out for Renault being at the front of that yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested in I, th- I think we'd possibly see a Renault McLaren fight out that's that's kind of where I'm placing my bets yeah. I guess and where do racing point factor into this somewhere behind them oh, they're such an enigma them. this year aren't they yeah, they're really difficult to to. Predict. I guess they're not really developing like the other teams are. Maybe, maybe they're putting more into things. But then they've got to run this car all next year as well. So yeah, yeah, they have had a few developments, and they're they're actually seem to be developing away from last year's Mercedes now. Like they're actually putting <laughs> some parts maybe that's come the up with themselves maybe. on it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll leave that one there then. Uh, the next one. Um, can Verstappen close the gap to the Mercs after two retirements in a row? Uh, yeah, Verstappen, Verstappen, Verstappen. Um, it'd be nice to see not. him go well here. I mean, it's, it's, they, he really, he's been really unlucky. The race, we had a bit of a race on, I thought, um, for, uh, for Mugello with the Red Bull being in the mix. And then he was just out really yeah. indoors and didn't get the start he needed did he well he didn't have any power so there's something wrong with the car so that there's been a couple of occasions where the red bull sort of cost us a really good race it has the race pace that car to be right up there with them but um we've just not seen it this last couple of races yeah given, given the right sort of track setting it can definitely be up there um and like you say he's been unfortunate on a couple of occasions now but I, for for some reason, I just can't see Sochi being a place that they manage it. Like from from memory, over most of the races here, I remember it basically being mainly Mercedes dominance. Other than when Ferrari started looking good, like a year or so ago, and Ferrari because Charles, in fact, did Charles win this last year? He did, didn't he? I think <clears throat> no him and Seb no, were having Hamilton. a bit of a duel for quite a lot of the race he qualified well, first but Hamilton won it there we go I'm thinking qualifying yeah, but yeah, yeah. What, like apart from like the last year or so where Ferrari kind of looked like they were catching up to Mercedes in terms of development like it's pretty much just been Mercedes all the time hasn't it it's, it's not one of those tracks where you see Red Bull gain something back like we do at other circuits. So I just, I just can't see Max getting much mm. other than finishing behind the pair of them. But I think given Sadly. given where the Red Bull was at Silverstone, if we're comparing this track to Silverstone, True. then I don't know. I think we've got a fight on with Verstappen. I, yeah. I reckon I reckon he, he might be up there, you know. I, I think he pro- I think he probably pushed them into um one of those sort of tire situations that they've yeah. found themselves in a couple of seasons. Uh, Which is what he needs to do. Yeah, it needs it needs to basically be forcing them to make a decision on do we do we really risk keep running the same tire or do we 
pit and and get fresh rubber. Like, I, I think he could maybe be close enough to push them into that sort of decision, like at Silverstone and, and other places. Yeah, he needs to be causing them problems. And yeah, I think it's the sort of race where he can be causing them problems, giving them yeah. headaches in the strategy room. He just needs an mm-hmm. engine that's going to keep him in the race long enough to do that, I guess, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've had some pretty uh, appalling reliability, haven't we, from that? On yeah. This year. They're pushing again. They're pushing for more speed, and it's and it's um, it's biting them by the look of it. Yeah. Um, and my final storyline for this week then: um, Will Vladimir Putin show up three laps from the end, and will he be wearing a face mask? <laughs> what do you guys think? He has still been showing up in the Liberty era, era hasn't he? Because I know mm-hmm. he was always sat next to Bernie, but mm. yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty it's sure the old room of awkward at the end as well, isn't it? The old, yeah. The old, and he just stands there, just not really saying anything to them. Or he finds his way onto the podium to get involved with that somehow. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Someone's going to have to be the person to say to him, if you want to get in that room and be on the podium, these are the rules you have to follow, and you, including wearing a mask. I wouldn't yeah. like to be the person who has to tell Vladimir Putin the rules that he has to follow. Yeah, there's probably <laughs> a firing squad yeah. around about waiting for him. <laughs> yeah. Is that a knock on the door? Is that the KGB? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. shall that, we move on yeah shall we um, put money where mouths are and uh, make some predictions for this week's yeah. race I see you already Chris have doesn't to. sound all too confident I mean I already knew where I was going with it so I just thought I'm just going to fill the boxes in I mean you can potentially see my logic we'll go through it mm. <laughs> so um, this week's predictions we'll start with fastest in Q3 um, I might as well just give mine first on each of these. And <laughs> yeah, let you I mean, we can see. Up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like Bottas here. Bottas goes well here. He's qualified on pole before. He's he's had podiums. I'm going Bottas. Call it, call it uh, fastest in Q3. So I don't know where you guys want to go, but that's where I'm going. <laughs> Tom, you're a fool. I'm going Hamilton. <laughs> oh. I think Bottas I mean, has is... just been getting the beat down so hard from him that at the moment it's just his, his yeah, head's but... got to be struggling at the moment. I, I think this is like his light at the end, where he's like, "This is where I can, this is where I can start the fight back." Yeah, this is all. This, I mean, conclusion. If 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 I was coming around on the calendar and like a track like Montreal came up, which I love and I know I can always like, I would see that track and I'd be like, "This is my chance to really make some ground back." Because mm. I know that track is side out, and I know I can race well, or like Catalonia, and like there's certain tracks on the mm. on, on racing games where if they come up in a race series, and I'm sort of behind for some reason. It's like this is where I can make up some yeah, points, totally. and I, I yeah. can totally see Bottas seeing this as that opportunity. Yeah, I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that, but I just don't think he'll achieve it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do. I'm going Bottas. Oh, yeah! Welcome woo-hoo! to Bottas Club, Chris. <laughs> The question is, who goes where for the win? So I've already preemptively put Hamilton because as much as I, as much <laughs> as I like Bottas's fight back attitude, he's not going to win the race against Lewis. <laughs> he's just not <laughs> on a on a single lap basis where they're not wheel to wheel. Bottas can get the edge, but I, when it comes to wheel to wheel, I think Hamilton's in his head. So yeah. Yeah. I'm going Hamilton for the win, Chris. <laughs> Bottas. Whoa, double, double bot, bot crew. Double bot yep. ass. Oh my double bot do it. crew. And I've got a feeling I know where Stu's going to go, which is probably double ham. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm going to go ham. Yeah, oh, I was ham. almost <laughs> expecting a wild Verstappen to drop in there or something. Then a oh, wild Verstappen you know. has appeared. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a nice mix. I like that. Me, Bottas, Hamilton, Chris, oh, Bottas, Bottas, Stu, Hamilton, <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> Don't, have we confirmed now it's typed in, or do I? Can I? Ooh, I mean, I've sown a seed of doubt in Stu's head. You, I'm going to go. Got, I'm going to go Verstappen. I'm going to go Verstappen. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, he's I'm, doing, I'm, I'm doing it. Do you know okay. what, though? If that turns out right and I basically led you into that, then I'm going to be <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to be upset if that if that happens. I don't have a very uh, big points gap, but I don't think Tom's going to be right on the Bottas front. So I think if yeah, you think I you can claw, afford You think to, you're clawing a point back. It makes sense. I think, well, well I think it, if anything, we'll finish even on points there. But I just don't yeah. want to be the same is the thing. I'd, I'd rather try I mean, to that's, gain more of an advantage. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of where my Bottas thing has come from. It's like, Sadly, I think I'm yours gonna are roll more likely to be accurate. I think yeah. your we'll predictions see. there, but we'll see. Well, speaking of my predictions, mine for first DNF is homeboy Daniel Kvyat. That's yeah. harsh. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's a home race omen. Oh, yeah, um, it totally happens. I mean, quite a few people <laughs> have pointed blame him for certain things in the past um especially here at sochi as well i mean who can forget mm-hmm. honestly what the f- are we doing here <laughs> 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 who can forget so yeah i'm going down to caveat um still you can go first on this one well after um, <laughs> who will be the first retirement Kvyat's obviously got his tail between his legs a little bit because, let's face it, he was the cause of that accident. Having reviewed the footage, and I will point out now, actually, I'll take this opportunity to point out to you all that I was right. It was at the very... <laughs> Hashtag Stu was, was right. It was. Yeah, should I mean, we, we should make a t-shirt that says that. I, I, would, um, I would also like to point out on that basis that if, if people haven't watched the Julian Palmer like in-depth mm. analysis of that whole event and scenario with data-driven analysis and video footage, go watch it if you would like yeah. an explanation of how events unfold. He, he comes to the exact same conclusion that I came to the day after when I reviewed the footage and spoke to you <laughs> um, Who's going to go? Kavir is a good one because he, he, will have, he will be a bit sort of reeling, I guess, from, from his last race. Uh, he didn't do great at his last race, did he? Um, it's, a, it's really tough. Magnussen and Grosjean are probably... Grosjean's been in the wars a little bit. I'm going to go Grosjean. Okay. I feel like at least once per week, one of us submits Grosjean for this. <laughs> <laughs> at least one of us. <laughs> Chris, what about you? I'm going to, I'm going to follow the stats this week and I'm going to go for the driver <laughs> who has had more retirements than anyone else this season and that is Kevin Magnussen. Oh, a lot of the time it's not collisions though Chris a lot of the time it's not collisions he's not the first. A lot of the time it's just reliability his brakes will go halfway. He's had a bit of both like though. Mm. He's he's had I mean, well I mean you've made your choice so I've, I've made my choice. <laughs> Deal with it. Um it says of finishes I nearly went 18, but I decided to go for a, a safe Classic 17. 17. Classic 17. Um, that middle of the road, if you're ever unsure, just go 17 kind of yeah. prediction. So I don't know which of you wants to start here. I think it's Chris's turn to it go first. It was only 15 last year. Mm. 
I mean, there's a lot of walls, isn't there? There is. There's a lot of scope to hit things and yeah. There's not much room for error. Um, mm. I'm gonna go slightly better. Let's go 16. I think it's gonna be a bit of an attritional one. Okay. And Stu? Um, I think it's gonna be a boring race. I'm gonna say 18. <laughs> I'm going to be so gutted if you get a point for that because that's where I originally thought I was going to go. I was going to go thought, 16. No, I'm being too conservative. <laughs> so you've gone completely the other way. Yeah, I was going to put Chris went 16, <laughs> so I thought I'll go the other way then. I'm, it's basically just plucking numbers out of the air at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and can we have a random driver, please, Chris? We can. And it please is. Be Grosjean, please be Grosjean, please be Grosjean. Lando Norris. Oh, ooh, tough one. That's an interesting one. Seventh. Stu is straight in Stu there. Stu straight seventh. in there, seventh. What did you do? He was eighth last year in a worse car. I'm going to go one better, personally, and go sixth, because I think that McLaren will do all right around here. Sixth was about what I was thinking as well. That's kind of probably par for his results this season as well, so given the nature of the track, sixth. I like sixth. You're going with it too. Awesome. Right, that is us done for predictions. Um, remember, you can join us as well by heading to backofthegrid.com where you can register if you haven't already. Uh, there is always a prize for anyone who hits five out of five across a race weekend. So there's always something up for grabs if you've not joined in yet. And then there is the um, the overall leaderboard that accumulates your scores over the season. And there's a prize for whoever comes top of that come the end of the season. So remember to head over there and... Um, Submit your predictions and prove how wrong we sometimes are. Hmm. Um, should we move on to our final little segment, gentlemen? Yep. Let's. Is... Keep it saying now. Stay, stay out. Box, box, box. Hey, man. <laughs> uh, Molly says, do you think Red Bull will retain Alex Albon for 2021? And if not, who will get that seat? I think they will. Yeah, I think as long as he keeps on an upward trajectory, which he seems to be, he will probably retain his seat. I think in a worst-case scenario, you might see a him and Gasly switch at the end of the season, but if I was Gasly, I wouldn't want that, if no. I'm honest. Same. If I was Gasly, I'd want to stay where I was and just leave Alex to it. <laughs> I I also feel like Red Bull have maybe finally sort of come around to the idea that the way they've been chopping and changing drivers just isn't good for anyone concerned yeah uh and i do think they're gonna try and stick with albon like they've, they've tried all three of the current other drivers at this point in that seat so i yeah. think they're sort of settled on albon and they're gonna really stick with him and try and give him everything he needs and all the chances he needs to do that which i think is the right thing to do um there's no denying Gasly's been really good this year, but swapping them is just going to destabilize everyone again, and they're going to end up having to like start from scratch again next season with their second yeah. driver. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I I think another sort of part of that will probably be the fact that um, uh, Sonoda's more than likely going to have to do another season in F two because of his super license points or or something else he's going to have to earn more super license points before he can move up so there isn't really a threat of any of those seats being filled quickly like for next season so 
I think the safest thing for Red Bull to do across the board really is probably just stay as is. Well, that brings us on to the next question, actually. From Oh, does it? Yeah, Wesley oh, Paul says, question. Kvyat, <laughs> will he be around next year? Lots of good young talent out there, and his performances so far have been okay, but not great. Um, and you're right, I think... I kind of just answered yeah. him <laughs> yeah. prematurely, didn't I? <laughs> he, but his, his best hope right now is the fact that Sonoda is having a bit of a downturn in form. Um, Sonoda needs fourth place in F2, and right now I think he's sixth. He's sort of... Yeah, it's tight, though. Yeah, it's about it is, right. It is it's very tight. tight. That, that, that fourth to... I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all for him to get fourth still. Um, it's just more that... He's de- he's depending on that, isn't he, to be able to? He won't have the super license points regardless if he doesn't finish fourth. So yeah, I think if there's any way Red Bull can put Snowder in that seat at all, then they absolutely will. If Snowder yeah, yeah. doesn't get the super license points, then maybe Kvyat will get another year. But I don't think he's doing enough, is he, right now to no, warrant no. keeping that seat? I mean, unfortunately, if if Snowder had the points, I'd be tempted to move him but do you know what even if he had the points I would maybe give him another year in F2 anyway because we do sometimes see the drivers being moved up too quick like I think I think Alban Norris Russell coming up together was a good example of them all being pretty much ready to to come up if like they've all kind of proven that they 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 can compete uh, at this level Whereas sometimes a driver gets moved up a little prematurely and it takes them too long to settle and Red Bull aren't a team that like to let people settle. So I would, honestly, I would, if I was Red Bull, I would maybe give him another season, even if he did get the super license points mm. and just just retain Kvyat for another year and keep things again as they are and mm. just let Sonoda find his feet in F2, quite likely win the title depending on who else is around him. And, and and his form and you know you might find that he's not it, it depends on honda's pressure i guess as well that, i was gonna there's say a big, there's a big honda influence in this it depends on how much honda want him in that seat and want to push to say you know you're using our engines we want um a japanese driver and a yeah, japanese power well, car well ultimately honda want on honda want um yuki in the red bull not in the toro rosso so well you might yeah, argue yeah. that they, they ought to get rid of Kvyat and then see how albon does next season and then maybe you get yuki in the car Next mm, to Verstappen, if he's if he's doing well enough for twenty twenty two, but um, yeah, you know, I again, think like it's just such the jury's out on that one, isn't it? It's so much else riding on it that it's difficult to say at this point. Yeah, but I think kind of reading between the lines from what sort of Red Bull and Toro sort of said, Honda are very much pushing to get Snowder into that seat. Um, I mean, look at yeah. uh, Toyota all their years at Le Mans recently; they've had. A Japanese driver in at least one more often than not yeah, yeah. both of their cars like it's seems to be a big thing for Japanese manufacturers more than a lot of other ones that they like to have someone of the same nationality in their cars and I think Honda yeah. are very much pushing for that because um, the, the other factor is um, Yuri Vips like if Sonoda yeah. does end up in F2 for another year and Vips does F2 as well I think looking at them both right now you would probably put money on Vips outperforming Sonoda which then would put them in a really difficult position yeah I mean to drop into F3 uh, sorry F2 like he has and then within a few races he's in himself a podium that's, exactly yeah. that's pretty good going it for really Vips. is yeah so if he again if he maintains that it, 
he's on an upward trajectory and then Red Bull find themselves with two drivers that they want to find a seat for. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyone, anything else to add on that? Or? I think that's it from me. I don't think so, no. Yeah. Right, that Caesar's done for this weekend. Well, this week, and then looking ahead to this weekend's race. Um, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. It is Back of the Grid F1 on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at backofthegrid.com, as I said before, and on Facebook, we are just Back of the Grid as well. I've lost track. See, I told you I was going to ruin the outro <laughs> as well, Stu. Told you wow. I was going to do it again. <laughs> um, we will leave you to enjoy the Sochi Grand Prix, the Russian Grand Prix, and we will be back next week to go through a review of said race. So that is goodbye from me, and it is goodbye from these two. Bye. Enjoy seems a bit generous, but sure. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> better enjoy it chris i was literally just yawning as you said (laughs)